Let's be prayerful and mindful as, as our kids head down. Ask the Lord for uh, the volunteers, that they would do good work down there, be filled with the Spirit, that these kids would receive what they need to receive, and then for us as well, that we would receive God's Word um, in sincerity. Uh, let's, let's do that now. Father, we pray for these young hearts heading downstairs to receive Your truth with, um, with visuals, with examples that uh, are at a level where they can grasp it. And we ask that You would allow those teachers to uh, depend on You in it and that they would surrender to You uh, the results. Father, we want to ask You uh, that as we enter into Your Word up here, as we look again at this book of Numbers, we ask that You would do a work in our hearts. Uh, Father, we, we want to see You in it, and uh, we come in here, Lord, with all kinds of anxieties and questions and hang-ups. Uh, some of us have really messed up this week. None of us in here is perfect. Uh, Lord, would You encourage us, lift us up, challenge us, shape us with Your Word. So we can leave here better than when we came in by your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some of you may have had an experience in your life uh, where you were quite complainy. <laughs> there were things not going your way. And you look back on it and you see how God worked it out or how God used it. Uh, and you realize the absurdity of complaining. Some of you may be stuck in a trial now, or have been for a long time, and you wonder, will you ever get to a point where you look back on it and see the sense of it, see why exactly God did it? And sometimes when we ask that, we're, we're, going, we're, we're looking for a specific answer for a specific problem. Uh, if this didn't happen, then I wouldn't have gotten this better job. Okay, God, I see what you're doing, but some of us never get that better job. Or you can't get your loved one back that passed away. Oftentimes when you hear people leave Christianity or deny Christianity altogether, it's based on this exact fact. It's not on evidence. It's not proof. It's not like they have literally a better explanation as to why Jesus' body was missing in the tomb. It's because God is supposed to be good and my life is going this way and this is terrible, so God must not be good. I don't want to follow that God. And we tend to squirm and go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. But the Bible does speak to that. And it's one of the reasons why, as you move through the book of Numbers, you can so easily be disgusted with God's people until you realize this is a pattern as to how we behave. It's an it's a inward look. It's an x-ray to how God's people react and respond to God. And oftentimes, when our center is religion, our center is things about God, things related to God, but our center really isn't the thing that it's supposed to be, why we really need God, uh, then complaining is just a natural extension of that. Because we should be getting stuff, and then we're not getting stuff, and why aren't we getting stuff? I signed up for this Christianity thing. I signed up to follow God. I signed up to leave Egypt and get to this promised land, and this wilderness is really terrible. So we're going to look at the absurdity of complaining here, 
and how it speaks to our relationship to God and on my hope and my desire is that even if we have things that we came in here feeling like we have every right to complain about them this morning, that we would leave here today going, okay, it's difficult, it's tough, but it's absurd to complain. Now let's put the center where it's supposed to be. So join me in the book of Numbers. And we're going to be in chapter 21, Numbers 21, fourth book in the Bible. So if you uh, haven't been in Numbers, some of us have been Christian for a really long time, and if we were honest with ourselves, we skipped Numbers. Uh, but that's, that's to our uh, deficit. Numbers 21 actually probably starts in the uh, verses 4 through 9 with one of the most famous uh, passages in the Old Testament with the bronze serpent, but it's another episode that starts with complaining. Now, if the book ended at 21.3, you'd be like, okay, they finally got it. Because you remember they started experiencing victories and they started winning their battles and they figured out this repentance thing. Um, not so much, not so much. I'm going to read 4 through 9, then we'll back up and make some comments. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Remember, Edom didn't let them pass. Uh, they were brothers back in the day, so they're like, all right, cool, we're going to go around. <laughs> and the people became impatient on the way. Uh-oh. Verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. By this point, you're just like, this is nuts. Well, it is nuts. But complaining isn't always logical. Here's their complaint. Verse 5, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Uh, yeah, I just think of, think, think, just pause there for a second and think about how real this is. Right? When you try to get a loved one out of trouble and you try to set them on the right path and to get a job and to stop their habit that's killing them, and they long to just go back, don't they? They don't like that job and they don't like living the clean life and this is terrible. And, it's, right? and so that's what's happening here. It's, like, it's the withdrawals of Egypt. They really haven't left Egypt behind. It's still in their hearts why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? They were slaves in Egypt. The Egyptians hated them. <laughs> they made them do uh, slavish labor, mistreated them. But they'd rather do that than be in this wilderness, even though in the wilderness it's a journeying with the Lord and it's, there's a goal. There's this promised land they're trying to get to. But they're just looking at what's around them now. We're going to die in this wilderness. For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Do you see the, how nonsensical that sentence is? There is no food. We hate this worthless food. Well, which one is it? Well, it, it's not supposed to be logical. We want a different kind of food. We want food that's better than this food. We're sick of this bread that you've been supplying us with. Is it true that there's no water? They've been given water, right? We've seen that as we've moved through the book of Numbers. Has God demonstrated that even if there's no water around, He can produce it, He can provide it? Yes. They don't see it right now. And what matters is right now. This moment is what matters right now. And I don't like this moment, and so I'm going to complain. 
even if it doesn't make logical sense, even if it goes against the grain of what God has demonstrated in the past. Who cares about the past? It's what's in front of me right now. And what's in front of me right now is food that I don't like. It might as well be no food and no water. And what you do give us, we hate it. We loathe it. It's worthless. Could you imagine God miraculously providing something in your life and you just call it worthless? We do that. Now God responds, and it is harsh. I don't think it's too harsh. God is, he doesn't respond too much or too little. It's right on, but it's hard. Verse 6, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And we're not to imagine serpents engulfed in flames. It's the fiery sting of the serpent. It burns. So the people are getting bit. They're starting to die. There's no antidote. They're just out there in the wilderness. Here's why the Lord did that, to get them to verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now, as we look at that, it feels like an easy solution. You put this bronze or copper, depending on your translation, serpent, they put it on a pole, they stick it up there, and anyone who was bitten just needs to look to it. And the phrase there usually is meant not to just look at something, like your eyeball just gazes upon it, but that you look to it in faith and in hopefulness. But that's still pretty easy. It's not bathe seven times in the river, go climb up to the mountain. If you can find three rocks of perfect size, bring them back, make a thing. Look to this thing, and the poison is gone. The point of it is getting the people to a place where they realize they need something deeper and more important than spices, herbs, fatty steak, burgers, fries, I mean, if I'm just going to die here because I got bit by a serpent, how dumb is it that I was going to reject this God because I didn't have five guys in the wilderness? Right? That, not, it went, that perspe- in that perspective, you're like, that's kind of dumb. God brought me out of Egypt. I'm not a slave anymore. Yes, this wilderness journey is hard, but he's going to get us home. And I'm definitely not going to make it home if I die from this poison. And he makes a way for them not to prove themselves, not for them to show how awesome they are. He doesn't build an obstacle course and say, whoever passes this obstacle course can make it. It's simple. Look to me, and I've got you. That's it. Depend on yourself, you die. Look to me, I've got you. I'll always provide water. I'll always provide food. I will get you there. No nation will stand against you. That's where he wanted to get them. And this morning, if you feel like you are traveling with the Lord because you go to church or because you've read the Bible a few times or you wear a Jesus shirt, I don't know, whatever it is that might make you feel like you're in, 
but there's something going on in your life that just really makes you resent God. You need, a, you need to reckon with what your real problem is. And your real problem is not the thing that you're wrestling with in the moment, that disease, that sickness, that heartache, that breakup, that, that difficult issue. I don't want to make light of the things that make your life hard. They are hard, and they are difficult. God is pointing them to something underlying that. So that in verse 7, their response is not, we have complained, my bad, we have sinned. There's something underneath all of these things that produces our hurts and our pains. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, which we're not that far from right here, why is there disease? Why are there heartaches? Why are there so many relational problems? Because of that original serpent deceiving our parents. And so the Christian explanation for all the problems in the world is not, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure. One day in heaven when we wear our halos and wings, God will explain it. He explained it. We don't want to follow God. And in the garden, that step away from obedience caused thorns. You're not supposed to grab the beauty of a rose and get pricked. That is not natural. The thorns are the result of the curse, Moses says in Genesis. So all the things that we complain about, God isn't up in heaven going, I was just trying to make it tricky for you. (laughs) We've invited that into our world. So the real question isn't, why do I have this problem? The real question is, is, how come this problem hasn't killed me yet? Why do I even get to journey? Why do I even get to breathe right now? It's God's grace. To prove to you that the way Jesus himself read this passage is not a harsh God who hates people. Jesus read this passage as a God who loves people. Because whether they were going to die by serpents or die by something else, if they reject God, they're going to die. The Egyptians are going to kill them. The, the Canaanites are going to kill them or they'll die in the wilderness. If they step away from God, they will not have life. They can't do it. God uses the serpents to snap them out of it. It's a quick spank to get them back to this point where they depend on the Lord. In that secret conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you remember that episode in Numbers where Moses lifted up that bronze snake and all they had to do was look at that snake and live. I'm fulfilling that. So that when I'm lifted up, people who look to me by faith have eternal life. Does anybody in here remember the very next verse? I just quoted or summarized John 3, 14 and 15. What's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Not so God wanted to chastise the world. God so hated the world. God so wanted to spank the world. He wants the world to respond to his son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's the pain in your life that will bring you there. Something needs to make us aware of our poison and our need for this ultimate antidote. And our two responses to be, to be further resentful of God You've got me starving out here in the wilderness, and on top of this starvation, you send snakes? Or we can go, wow, I was an idiot, and the snake bite is making me realize 
I don't even deserve to be on this wilderness journey. I don't deserve to be rescued from Egypt. I don't deserve to be, have my life changed. But God is a God of love. And in his love, he provides an easy way out. <laughs> Turns out not so easy for Jesus. But something that Jesus pays for, he takes our penalty, he takes the snake bite, so we can have the antidote. I mean, that's the picture. God wants our pardon. God wants us to get to where we need to go. But sometimes he uses a painful experience in your life to remind you that you've got a deeper, deeper problem. Your profound problem is your separation from God. All the other problems are just spokes on that wheel. At the hub, right at the center, is our separation from God. That needs to be fixed. If that's fixed, we can deal with all these other things. Because this life is temporary, and the promised land is soon. This is a wilderness experience. He didn't tell them, I'm going to pull you out of Egypt, skip the wilderness. He's like, no, that's going to be hard. <laughs> Lean on me, I've got you, and I'll get you home. And they would have been there a lot sooner, wouldn't they have? A whole four decades sooner, had they not exhibited this pattern of constantly barking at God about not getting the right kind of food. So the serpent prefigures God's solution in Jesus Christ to fix our problem, our ultimate pain. And when that ultimate thing is fixed, we can deal with the smaller ones. Let's not go out there like we don't have an answer. Why is there pain in this world? Why is there suffering? I don't know. Yes, you do. And the answer isn't, well, you did something when you were three years old, so therefore now you have cancer. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we all share disease, and it looks random. Some of us get cancer. Some of us, it's a car accident. Some of us live forever. You got a neighbor who's the sweetest person, dies at 30, and then your other neighbor is the worst person imaginable. You, ha you, you secretly think the person's a serial killer, and he's like 90 years old right, and healthy. These things seem to not make sense to us in the specific circumstances. But we know overall, right, the big picture, we know why there's problems in this world, why there's evil. And we are increasingly living in a society where uh, the things that God calls good, the world is calling evil. And the things that God calls evil, the world is calling good. And this is not the time for us to not be having answers, this is not the time for us to retreat in silence. I'm like, I don't know. We have to be able to explain the situation. But oftentimes we skirt around the big problem. We only talk about the little problems. Sometimes we even tell people, God has solved little problems in my life. Why don't you come follow God? And they come to follow God, a God who's going to serve them by solving their little problems. But they never really reckon with their big problem. And they're not really journeying with God. Watch this reversal here. They complain in verse, uh, they're, well, they're impatient in verse 4. They're not getting there fast enough. And then in verse 5, they complain about no food, no water, or worthless food. Then in verse 10, after they look to the serpent, they're healed. Moses' intercession for them works. Now they start experiencing victories. And they, they set out to uh, start approaching the lands that they're supposed to conquer. And if you drop down to verse 16, they continue to bear. That is, 
the well of which the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it the well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug with the scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness they went to Matanah, and from Matanah to Nahel, and from Nahel to Bamoth. If you pull out a map, you can see their journey, their movement. And they, they uh, go into the region of Moab, and they're ready to start experiencing victories. If you pause there for a second, it goes from complaining about water, we don't have water, and then the serpent episode, and now they're praising God for water. So it's not that God is like, pay no attention to the details in your life. Only think about eternal salvation and the details in your life. I want you to not pay attention to them. That's not it. May the center of your life be the ultimate solution. And then when I provide you the small things, you can praise me for that. But you praise me for the small things because you are fixated on the big thing. When you were not fixated on the big thing, I didn't want to give you the little things. Because then you're only going to worship me for the little things. Right? God doesn't want a people that follow him because he provides you with jobs and all you have to do is pray and then the next morning you get an email, hey, you got a raise. <laughs> this God is great. Yeah, your God is you. That's why you think he's great. But God wants you to serve him for this big issue problem and then once you do, he'll gladly give you all these other things. Right? When does a parent say, I don't want you to have candy? When they're afraid that you're having too much candy. When they're afraid that all you want is candy. Well, maybe there's parents out there that will literally never give you candy. But I think a lot of us will be like, you know, you've been eating really healthy. Here, have this candy, right? We don't want to keep our kids down, but we want to make sure their focus is in the right place. Then they can appreciate the gifts. And so here you have this pattern of complaining about water. Then they got bit by serpents. Whoa, we have a way bigger problem. Right, God solves that bigger problem. Now you can praise God in song. For those other provisions that he gives. Not only does he provide them water in the wilderness, he provides them victory against these kings that they would not be able to beat. Just like they did with Edom, they asked King Sihon, hey, can we pass through? We don't want to eat your stuff. We don't want to take your water. We're not going to take people. We're not going to fight you. We just literally want heads down. We're just going to walk through the land. Sihon is like, no, I'm going to kill you. And so he marches out against Israel And Israel defeats them. Verse 24, And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land. And then what do they do? Verse 27, they sing. And they sing about how God gave them success. Come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be established. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sihon. It devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab. You are undone, O people of Chemosh. He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Sihon. So we overthrew them. So the first few verses, just how bad these people have been, how bad they behaved. And then verse 30, the result. So we overthrew them. Heshbon, as far as Debon, perished, and we laid waste. As far as Nopha, fire spread as far as Mediba. So they sing about this victory, and then they get another victory against King Og in that last paragraph. The Lord encourages them by telling Moses when King Og goes against them. Verse 34, but the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand. 
and all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him and his sons and all his people until he had no survivor left, and they possessed his land. Now, if you look carefully, God tells them why they're having success, why they shouldn't fear anything that's in front of them, and it's because God says, I'm doing it. I'm giving them into your hand. But if you read back when they defeated the king of Sihon, uh, Moses makes it very clear when he writes this down that it was, verse 24, by the edge of the sword that they took possession of the land. So here's what's tricky about journeying with the Lord and the Christian life. God uses your efforts to get things done. At the end of the day, he was the one who did it, but he still used your efforts to do it. And what's tricky about that, what's tricky about that, you're always going to be tempted to attribute successes in life to yourself and not to the Lord. I mean, if you do get that email and it's like, you got this raise, and you ask them, well, why'd you give me this raise? They probably are not going to say, I wasn't going to give you a raise. Actually, I was going to fire you, and I had this nightmare of a dream last night. Jesus showed up, fiery eyes, riding a white horse, you know, give this promotion or I will kill you. You'll be in eternal flames of death. And so I'm just banking on the fact that maybe that dream is foreboding, you know, pretending something true. No, they're going to be like, Here, your performance, you, didn't, you, know, you did this pretty well. I, I like how you handle projects. There's going to be a human reason, and your temptation there is going to be like, yeah, it's by the edge of the sword that we did it. Yeah, but not really, though. Right? They had to ride their horses, wield their swords, sharpen their swords. They had to fight. They had to practice, hopefully. Right? But at the end of the day, God did it. And the reason why they're experiencing victories now is because they know that. They know that. And not only do they know that God did it, they know that God doesn't have to do it. God is not under obligation to serve us in the little things or in the big things. He's not a genie, right? Begrudgingly giving us three wishes because we rubbed the lamp. It's like, oh, hurry up and ask your third prayer. I mean, that's not God. But God wants us to know that the, the, the successes that we do have in life, the things that we do for the Lord in service to Him, that we do well, He's doing it. It's because He's given it, even when we put effort into it. And I love, I just want to make this point here, because we don't often get to make this point. Uh, I grew up in church. I often wonder what it's like for someone to come into church, maybe for the first time, and we sing a lot, you know? <laughs> it's like, wow, another song. Okay. <laughs> why, why do we, we're, we're still singing. Well, we can do the easy answer and just say, well, as you read through the Bible, God's people sing. I mean, that's what they do, so that, that's what we do. But I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, you know, it's not that, a, it's not that countercultural, really. I mean, when somebody has a birthday, we sing. That's not religious. I mean, I don't know the history of it. But it's a weird song. It's not that great of a song. No one can really sing it. I bet to you, you know. We're just hoping we're drowning each other out. Uh, but we're celebrating this person. And we celebrate in song. People bring in the new year with song, right? So before games, we, we sing the national anthem to pause and, I don't know what the official reason is, but I think it's, you know, to pause and, hey, before we play this game in our freedom, let's remember that this freedom costs something. 
And so we look to this flag and, and we sing this song. But songs unite people. You know, songs remind us that there's a greater purpose. There's something about anthems that do that. School fight songs, you know, as silly as they may be, unite the students in the singing of the song uh, to go fight the school, other school, you know. Unity, celebration, a memorial to something. I think that's built into us so that even if you're not a Christian, don't even believe in the God who created song. It's still innate to celebrate in these ways, but they're not ready to sing. They're not ready to celebrate until they had the bronze serpent episode. Now they're singing. And they're singing about God's provision of water. They're singing about God's victory in battle. And their hearts are singing because they realize it's not the edge of our sword that does it. It's God who does it. And the reason why he does it is not because he's obligated to do it. It's because he loves. He loves enough to remove the sting of the serpent. That's really messed things up for us. That's really messed things up for us. But if we look to Christ, he doesn't just supply us with this eternal life in the end, but he gives us reason to live for the day now and to go out there and accomplish the things that we're supposed to accomplish for him. You will notice that they don't go from Egypt directly into the promised land. There is something about this wilderness journey, this stick to itness, this persevering. Think about Paul's language, straining to what's ahead. We don't, we don't skip the straining part. But sometimes we do that by just ducking out of the world, ducking out of culture, and not living out this great commission. Our role as a church is not to literally take swords and kill other religions. Other religions believe that. That is not Christianity. That never was Christianity. And anytime anyone did that in the name of Christ, it was against the Bible, not with the Bible. But, it was a disaster. But, what God is communicating here is that when he gives us a mission and he tells us, go do this, and don't be afraid even though it's going to be scary. Isn't that how Jesus commissioned his disciples? To go take over the world, not with swords, but with the word of the Lord and with the gospel, to go be beautiful feet announcing God's beautiful news to people still stuck in Egypt. And our role is to help people that are still stuck in slavery to come out of it. And it's not a 12-step help program. This is life change from the inside out by looking to Jesus Christ who takes pardon for us and offers this change, offers this transformation. And Jesus promises the disciples there's no need to be afraid. Don't fear it. I've given you authority because authority has been given to me. Not authority to kill people, authority to rescue people, to rescue them. And we can't rescue them if we just sort of like don't know how to speak to the world's problems. There's people in your life that feel like God is giving them a bad deal. It's not that they don't believe in God. It's that they believe God is a jerk. God has given them a bad deal. He gives them worthless food and he doesn't provide water the way they want it. And our role is to come alongside them and help them understand, no, actually you've got this wrong. It's for God so loved the world. He wants to wake you up and help you see what's at the center of this wheel. All these little problems, there's something at the center of it, a profound big problem that needs to be reckoned with. 
and makes all of our little problems pale in comparison. We've got this light. We have our marching orders. You see these parallels with these people in Israel. We don't complain. We look to Christ. Whatever, he, whatever we're facing in our lives, God has given us the focal point, which is Jesus Christ himself, to solve the big problem. And our mission is not to go into lands and kill literal kings, but to go into all the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now is not the time to be quiet. Now is not the time to shrink back, hide in our little homes, you know, hide in our churches. It's to go out there and talk to people. And they might give you a weird look. They might be mad at you for a little bit. But you want to communicate that this is a loving gospel that God has given. There is a problem and there is a solution. There is a poison. God has provided an antidote. Would you look to Jesus Christ for salvation? Talk to them about your testimony. And your testimony is not better job, better house, better spouse. Your testimony is bigger than that. Some of you feel like you don't have a great testimony because you weren't a gangbanger. Well, praise God that you didn't have to go through that. You still have an awesome testimony because you were a rebel and God made you a friend. And you can extend that friendship to others if you explain it to them in a way that gets to the big need and doesn't just camp out on the little needs. Amen? I want to invite the worship team to come forward and I want to prepare our hearts in a brief prayer.